authority. All the authority was given to Jesus by you, as it says in Matthew 28. And Lord, we just pray that as Dave comes up and speaks what you have for us, as Dave speaks that, we just pray that hearts would be touched, lives would be changed, and we would focus on our future, not worry about the things that are in our past, because we can never go back there. We can focus on our future. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ to be traitors? A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. In God we trust. I was uh, thinking about that this week. And uh, I was reminded that in God we trust is on our money. It's on this dollar bill, the back. It's on uh, every $5 bill, $10 bill, $20 bill, $50 bill, $100 bill. No $1,000 bill, though. I'd love to hold a $1,000 bill if it existed. Wouldn't that be nice? Instead of just a $1 bill. But it says right there, in God we trust. In fact, it's on all of our money. And has been since the mid-50s. In God we trust. And, and I was challenged this week by, by the fact that, that I use this often. You know, I, uh, I buy lunch with it. I, uh, I, I buy snacks that ties pit stop with it. And, and it passes from my hand to someone else's. And, and as it passes from my hand to another, I should be reminded that it's in God that I trust. But, you know, oftentimes that's not the case. Um, because oftentimes it's in me I trust. Uh, because I did the work, I did the hourly work or whatever it was that, that put this in my pocket. And, and, and I, can, 
I can sort of live my life that way. And, and I've been deeply, deeply challenged by that in, in the last month. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we should read this, uh, this In God We Trust more as a question. Um, in God We Trust? Really? Do we trust Him? Um, the Ladies Home Journal asked uh, on a questionnaire, In Whom Do You Trust? And, uh, and then they listed the four uh, responses that they listed in this particular article. And, and I'm guessing that this particular uh, vote was taken somewhere in the late 70s by the names that are, that are on here. But, but I would think that if this was given today, it would just be different names, um, but probably the similar percentages. So, so they said, uh, in whom do you trust? Uh, 40% of the vote said Walter Cronkite. A lot of people in this room don't even know who that is. Um, thus the time when it was, it was given. Uh, 26% said that they trusted Pope John Paul. 6% said Billy Graham. 3% said God. 3%. Now, I, I don't know that it was multiple choice. It was probably just a blank and said, who do you trust? Who do you trust? And that's what the people put. Do, do I really trust God? That's a question that I want each of us to ask here this morning. Now, just to be clear, I'm not talking about belief. Okay? I'm not talking about belief because there's a difference. Um, we, can, we can intellectually assent that, that, that Jesus Christ came to the earth, lived as a man, God incarnate, surrendered himself to the cross, was crucified, died, was buried... Uh, was raised again on the third day, um, you know, hung around for a while, visited with his disciples, people witnessed him, and then he ascended into heaven and sits today at the right hand of God. We can believe that, okay? That, that is belief. The question is, in our everyday life as we live it out, do we trust our Savior in the midst of everyday life? Okay, and that is the question for us here this morning, and that has been something that I have been greatly challenged with this week. You know, when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that He is Lord, then we will be saved, the Bible says. That's belief. That's the beginning of trust. That's the beginning of trust. And today I'm talking about every hour of every day in the nitty-gritty of life. Do we trust our Savior? Do we trust our Creator? Uh, whether we're on easy street or difficulty drive, do we trust Him? Um, do I live my life surrendered to Him? Seeking direction from Him? Following Christ on His mission, as Adam so well talked about last week. And, and I was confronted with this thought this week by a friend. He and I have been talking about, about anxiety and failure and the, lack of, the feeling of the lack of success. Things that I've been experiencing in my life as of late. And we looked at those things... Two weeks ago, if, again, if you missed the sermon from two weeks ago, I encourage you to go online and, and, and listen to it. Now, we, we looked at those things, this friend and I, we talked about these, and, and I, wonder, I wonder, what have you been thinking since two Sundays ago uh, in your own life? Because I know, I know there are people in this room who, who have felt like a failure. You, you feel like you're, you're not succeeding. The bar is too high. Um, there are people in the room today who have, probably have a lot of fear in their life. There's, there's this, this can be overwhelming sense of anxiety at times. And, and you, don't, 
you don't know what to do with it. You don't, in some ways, you don't know why it's there. And, and I, I feel your pain, honestly. And this week, uh, I was confronted with, and I think it is the truth, that, that the reality that this fear and anxiety in my life, that I have in my life, what it's due to, the cause of it, is a lack of trust in my Lord. It's, it's a lack of trust. It's not a lack of belief. Because I believe, with, with all of my heart and with all of my mind, I intellectually assent to every command that God has in this book, but do I trust it? Every day of my life. Um, this friend of mine asked me, he said, uh, he said, David, when is the last time you got up and you asked God to direct your steps for the day? He said, when, when, when was the last time, or, or, or he, he sort of asked it this way, do you, do you, in your morning prayer time, do you say, Lord, what, what do you have for me today? What, what do you have for me today? And you know what? There was silence. I don't remember the last time that, that I had that kind of conversation with the Lord, and, and it was kind of hard. Maybe that's, maybe that's easy for you, and, and what a blessing it is. Uh, you know, I can't, I, I can imagine that Sam and Susan coming off an 11-month, 11-country mission trip where they had to, every day, it's like, Lord, we submit to you, what do you have for us today? And, and I heard them say last week that, that they want what, they, what God taught them on that trip to, to begin to directly apply to their life here. To how they live their life today. Now, you might say, I apologize for using you guys as an example this morning. I, I didn't have anything like this at first service. So, um, but, but Susan, you, you're a teacher. School starts at 8 o'clock. It gets over at 3.30, 3.15. You hang around and do stuff until your, your day is over. So essentially, anybody in this room could say, if they work for somebody else, that, that my day is already scheduled for me. It's already planned for me. Okay? That's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. Because I would say, within that schedule, within those responsibilities that you have, are you having an ongoing conversation with the Lord about how does He want you to, to, to go about this stuff? Um, where do you put your trust in the midst of this? When conflict arises, um, when, how do you respond to that? Is it in your own strength? And that's our default. Our default is to schedule our own lives. It's my default. It's, it's it, when the video says, me, me, me. Oh, yeah. Yes. When, when we get up in the morning, what are we thinking about? How do we start our day? Well, oh, man, look at this, this long list of stuff that I have to do today. And, and we begin working on that before we have any conversation with the Lord. It's been really challenging to me. Um... And because it's only the intentional, purposeful, everyday living of my life in complete surrender to the Lord that fear and anxiety really subsides. Because if it, if it literally is all up to me, that's a lot of pressure. I think for all of us. Um, because we all have children. We all have responsibilities. We, we, we all have, um, you know, property to take care of or, or, or work or whatever. Children, um, but I believe that we can live this way. I want to live this way. 
I want to live in complete and total surrender and trust of my Savior. And to have the anxiety and, and the pressures to, to succeed and produce. Not that I don't work or be responsible, but I leave the results of that up to the Lord. Let me tell you about an, an, a normal everyday average day for the Anderson family. For, for me. My wife is shaking her head. Oh boy, here we go, she says. Um, so we, uh, here lately actually, I've been sleeping to the alarm, which is nice, but um, uh, oftentimes I'll wake up bef- before the alarm, I'll uh, let the dog out, I'll make myself a cup of coffee, and I'll sit down with my, my Bible. Actually, not my Bible, my phone. And, and I will want to click on the Bible app and read my whatever the next thing is in my reading plan, but I will always go to other things instead. Fox News, ESPN, um, the weather, uh, and Facebook. I will scan all of those before I go to, to read my Bible app. Lack of discipline on my part. Okay, well, by the time I get through all of those and I get to my Bible app, it's like 5 till 7. And at 7 o'clock is kind of when everybody else kind of arises. And then I try and figure out what in the world I'm going to cook my, my daughter for breakfast. Um, you know, some sort of dietary limitation really puts a squelch on what I want to cook for breakfast. Um, so, anyway, um, we, we usually eat breakfast about 20 after 7, and then, uh, and then we have our, our morning devotion. Uh, currently, we're going through a, a Dr. David Jeremiah um, devotional that, that I got for Christmas from my mother-in-law, and there's a, always a passage to read, and then his thoughts about it, you know, and then maybe a short challenge. Um, the Daily Bread, those are available out here. That's really good for that as well. And then at the end of that, we may or may not discuss what, what I read, and then I will always pray, and then we'll be dismissed. And my prayers on, on those mornings are typically, Lord, uh, may we see your presence today. Uh, pray for those things that we know of, those people that are struggling with certain things, etc. Um, you know, mostly, mostly supplications, not a lot of thanksgiving and worship. And then we go throughout our day. My wife and I hit the ground running here, uh, generally at 8.30. And, and there's this, you know, generally there's this desk full of things that need to be done today or this week. And, uh, and, and work through that. And then, the, you know, it's check the schedule. Is there a volleyball game tonight? Do we, you know, do we have to, not have to, but do we get to go to that and, and, and watch that, et cetera, et cetera. What's the weekend look like, you know? Um, and then, of course, uh, immediately on Tuesday morning, the, the anxiety of what uh, the sermon is going to be and how it's going to be presented begins in on me. Um, and, and it just sits there all week long. And, and you know, Lord willing, the, 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 um, the outline is, is completed by Thursday, Friday. It's, it's kind of put to paper. Um, and then I, I think about it all day long on Saturday and wonder if it's right and wonder if it's okay. And, and maybe I need to change something. You know, sometimes I'll come in on Saturday morning and I always come in early on Sunday morning. And then, and then you know, sort of I, I, I give the message. And then at the end of second service, there's this big <sighs> sigh of relief. Right? Now, did anywhere in that description of an average everyday day of David Anderson or the family of David Anderson, did you hear me say or spend any time saying, Lord, what do you want me to do today? No. No, it's all determined by me. It's, it's all scheduled by me. I, I figure it out. I, I decide. I struggle with what needs to be said. And... and, and I don't know why I didn't see this. I mean, I've, I've wrestled with this for, for quite a while. And like I've said before, trying to do things on our own just makes us tired. 
It really makes us, it really makes me tired. And uh, and and so this week, after having been challenged with this by this friend of mine, um, I begin to ask some questions, and I'm going to challenge all of us to 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 live our life in in this sim- in, in this same way. Uh, I mean, talk about living a day without surrendering to the Lord. Um, it's mine, and it's up to me to get it all done. And I would bet every one of us in this room have thought that a day or two in our life, and we might even be living that way right now. So there's this problem. It's in your notes. You can fill in the blanks. Um, there's this problem. Um, I default to walking the road of life by myself. That's the problem. It, it's a default. It's default for us. It's sin. Um, it's pride. It's, it's independence. It's trying to live without God. Um, and without even thinking of it, um, we default to that. Um, we don't even have to be intentional about it. Uh, in fact, that, that's where Satan wants us. He wants us living our life that way, all on our own, um, independent from anybody else uh, in, our, in our personal life, let alone the Father, our Heavenly Father. And in a real sense, it's in that effort that, that I want to say this morning that I don't trust the Lord. That, that I have put my trust in myself. Um, there's an old story of a father who took his young son out and he stood him on the railing of the back porch and, and then he went down and he stood on the lawn and he encouraged his son to jump into his arms. And he said, I'll catch you. Um, the father said this confidently and after a lot of coaxing, and you know it would take a while, um, after a lot of co- coaxing, the little boy finally made the leap. And, and when he did, and I know what you're thinking, the father stepped back and he let the child fall to the ground. He then picked his son up, he dusted him off, and he dried his tears, and, and he said, let that be a lesson to you, he said sternly. Don't ever trust anyone. is that a horrible story? What a horrible father. I mean, I, I can imagine that he learned it well. I'll bet he never trusted his dad again after that, and I'll bet he had a hard time trusting anyone after that. Now, that's kind of the culture that we live in. We, we live in a culture of mistrust. Um, some of it is unfounded. Some of it is not. You know, we hear every day on the news, and of course it's always bad news, right? I mean, our cable stations fill 24 hours with bad news. And we listen to it and watch it. Sometimes I think, why is that even news? Well, it's because they didn't have anything better to talk about. They needed to talk about something. But, but we've got, you know, actors being axed from, from, being, uh, from representing companies because, oh, lo and behold, this person isn't who they said they were and they're, they're doing things that they shouldn't. There's companies that are cheating and, and skirting the laws to get ahead. There's professional athletes trying to gain advantage by taking performance-enhancing drugs. And, 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 and after, you know, the first two dozen or so, you be, a, a guy comes out and he's accused of something and he says, I didn't do it. You go, what? Yeah, right. Sure you didn't. That's what they all say. We begin to get a little cynical as we look at life. We mistrust our government officials. Who would even know why we would do that? Right? I mean, there are trustworthy government officials. There are. But the ones that are mis- that we can't trust, you just then begin to apply that to all of them. And that's not fair. But, but even worse yet, with this mistrust that we have with people, we begin to deflect that onto God. 
And we think, well, you know, isn't it in, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that God helps those who help themselves? I mean, we sort of begin to believe that. And it's not true. You know, God's word says, apart from the vine, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. And I need to live that way. I need to trust in that vine. Now, Adam and Eve did the same thing when they sinned. Uh, They thought their lives were solely about themselves. And so they made their decision based on that. Um, God created them, placed them in the garden, and and it's incredible. It's perfection. In fact, uh, in the end of chapter 2, it says that, that Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Oh, wouldn't it? Have you ever had an experience of that in your life where you felt no shame? What what an amazing place to be, Adam and Eve were. And then along came this 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 deceitful voice, and 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 Satan says, "You know what? The only reason God has said you can't eat from that tree is because He's holding back on you. You know, He's really not trustworthy. You know, you really can't believe what He says. You should really." Take your life into your own hands and, 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 and you determine what steps you're going to take and what fruit you're going to eat. And, and they both heard that and they both looked at the tree and they saw that it was pleasing to the eye. It was picked and then it was eaten. And immediately, immediately at the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, we see uh, as soon as they eat the fruit, they look at themselves and they go, oh, man. You know, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable all of a sudden. So they sew up for themselves some fig leaves, and and, and then what do they do? They hide. Because they heard God walking through the garden, and they hide. Why? Why did they hide? Because they felt they were ashamed. God says, where where are you guys? As if he didn't know, right? Oh, we're, we're hiding from you. Well, why? Did... Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, she made me do it. She made me do it. Did she really? No. She handed it to you and you partook. The woman says, the devil made me do it. Right? That's what she said. And, and they begin, and they begin passing, passing the blame. Well, today's message isn't on blame, but the, the fact that Adam and Eve, they, there was distrust. Because if they had trusted God completely, they would have just listened. And they, and they would have lived their life in, in amazing communion, in amazing relationship with, with the Lord. Um, they took their life into their own hands. And, and that's what we do. But, but it doesn't need to be that way. Um, we shouldn't project our mistrust of other people onto God. This is especially easy to, to do for a young woman who had an abusive father. You know, she, she's been abused by this man who should be the leader and the protector of her life. And, and, and this is the man who she calls Father. And when she hears the name of our Lord, our Creator, called Abba, Father, it's like, I can't understand what that means because what I currently believe about that, and it takes time for her to trust her Heavenly Father and recognize that He is perfect 
and that he is loving and that he would never, never treat you like an abusive human father would. He is completely trustworthy. He always keeps his word. He will never leave us nor forsake us. As much as the evil one would want to convince us that God has left us and forsaken us, he will never do it. I mean, there are so many promises in the Bible. And, and he will fulfill every single one. There are promises that deal with blessing. There are those that deal with our present. There are those that deal with our future. There, there are those that, that deal with our salvation and our, our eternity in heaven. There are those that describe punishment and, and death. His promises about shaping us and his promises that, that talk about his disciplining us. We can put our complete and full trust in all of them. Which brings us to the solution. Now, how do we turn this around in our lives? How, how do I come from a place of fear and anxiety and, and feeling like I never, I never hit the bar, feeling like it's up to me to produce, produce, produce? If, if something happens in, in a family member's life and it's, pretty, it's a pretty devastating thing and I want to fix it, how do I get past the anxiety and the fear that I can't fix it? How do I trust God in the midst of that? Well, you've probably seen this if you're not a parent. And if you're a parent, you've experienced this. You're, you're standing, maybe you went to the zoo, maybe you're, you're, I don't know, there are some busy streets, maybe in Scotts Bluff, maybe Torrington. Um, and, and you're going to cross the street at a busy intersection with your three or four-year-old. Mom, dad, you know, you're out shopping or whatever. You, you, you walk up to the intersection and, and what do you do? What do you say to your child? Here, grab my hand. Right? Now, the purpose of this is so that you can safely lead them across the intersection. Right? And protect them. But, but what does a three and four year old want to do? I'm going to hold your hand, right? In little kid words, of course. I don't want to. I want to do it myself. So... At a very early age, we want to gain this independence that, that, that we don't have at the time. And, and, and we never stop. Even as adults, we never stop wanting to have our independence and, and wanting to do it ourselves. When God is, is, is there and He's around us and He's saying, You know what, David, if you would just grab my hand and not let go and follow me, let me lead you. Let me lead you through life. I think that's how it works. It's, it's, and you can write this, this is kind of the second uh, sentence there, walking hand in hand with God. That's how we trust, we learn trust, we begin to trust, and we grow in our trust of Him. Walking hand in hand with God. And here's what I think that looks like. It's three things. First, of course, we need to know that he's trustworthy. There may be people in, in the room, you, you don't have a lot of experience with spiritual things. You don't know, you don't know a lot about God or Jesus or, 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 or have much knowledge about that at, at all. And, and, and it, as is true in any relationship, uh, there has to be knowledge of this other person. We, we have to know things. And, and God has given us those things for us to know. It's right here. It's in his word. So, so the first thing that, that we can do is we can read His Word. That's how we begin to put our trust in His hands. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 119. Um, if you don't own a Bible or you didn't bring one, grab one from, out, from underneath the seat in front of you. 
Um, and, and just take that Bible and put your hands right in the very middle of it and open it up. And the likelihood of you hitting Psalm is huge. Then just find Psalm chapter 119. We're going to begin in verse 33. Psalm 119, verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. There is this incredible attitude of submission. Teach me, Lord. Help me to know how to follow you. It's not, Lord, you know what? I got this covered. You know what? Just give me the strength to get through my schedule today and and we'll be all good at the end of the day. No. The psalmist says, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to to the end. Give me understanding. Direct me in the path of your commands. For there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Oh man, you you came in here and you saw the description of the sermon and in God we trust and you thought I was going to talk about money for 40 minutes. No. No. But but it is in this money, unfortunately, that that I think is can be selfish gain. Now God doesn't say money is evil, does he? He says it's the root of evil. So money is a good thing, but it can be a bad thing. The psalmist here says, turn my heart toward your statutes, toward your word, not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from from worthless things, things that are important to you, Lord. Turn my heart towards those things. Fulfill your promise to your servants so that you may be feared, so that I may worship and revere you. Take away the disgrace that I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Oh Lord, Lord, may I follow you. Lead me. Lead me. Teach me. That's a whole different attitude beginning a day than God I got it all figured out. You just need to give me the strength to get through what I've, what I've planned for the day. It's, or, or it's a whole lot different than sitting in the office going, man, I've got to figure this out. What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Uh, flip forward to uh, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Man, when you're in the dark, when you're in the dark, what do you need? You need light. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. I've taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. According to you, Lord. Not according to what I want, but according to you. I submit to that. Help me to follow you. Help me to trust you. Accept, O Lord, the the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life into my hands, isn't that us? That's certainly me. I live a day submissive and in the next day I, 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 I 
default back and I pick it all up and I figure it all out myself. Though I constantly take my life in my own hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Lord, your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Yes, we need to be obedient to his, his laws and his commands and his word. And it's in that surrender that, that that then becomes something that we delight in. Not something that creates anxiety and fear. Book after book we see evidence of Jesus working in the world. Book after book we see how God works. All things for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, if, you're, if you're feeling discouraged in life, read, read the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. I mean, he's got this incredible promise from God. He's given these in unbelievable dreams and visions. And, and where does that get him? It gets him want to be killed by his brothers. That's where it gets him. His brothers decide against that and they throw him in a well. And then some, some nomads come by and they think, hey, let's sell him into slavery. That's a great idea. That's a loving thing to do as an older brother for your little brother, right? They sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And, and then the Lord blesses him and he, he gets prominence in, in, the, in the land of Egypt. And then staying true to himself and his convictions, he, he refuses the oncomings of a lovely woman. She falsely accuses him. He ends up in prison for years for something that he never did. Legitimately, something he never did. And then eventually, eventually in God's timing, uh, he's remembered. And, and he's put back in a prominent place. And the Lord uses him then in that moment to fulfill what he had originally planned for his life years and years before. And, and he says to his brothers, and this didn't come easy, it took incredible trust and surrender on his part to his Lord to tell his brothers what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He trusted. Now, I don't, maybe he had conversations. I bet, being a human being, Joseph wrestled with this when he was in prison. Now, we're not told this. This is pure speculation on my part. But I bet there were times when he thought, God, where are you? What have you done with me? Why? Why am I here? And, and after this scenario, and, and after, of course, his family is saved, I'm sure he looked up at the Lord and said, you know what? I knew I should have just trusted you all along. I wouldn't have had this incredible anxiety and fear had I lived out what I said I believed. And that's where I am. I, I, want, I want fear and I want anxiety out of my life. And, and I believe it will happen more and more as I trust Him, as I trust Him. So, um, we have evidence in God's Word that He is powerful, evidence that, that He not only uh, knows the plans that He has for us, but He will work them out in our everyday lives. We could trust Him with that. No ands, ifs, or buts, whatever that means. Um, and, and we know this in our head, and we know this to, to be true, but do we live it out? Do we live it out? And, and, and again, here's the difference between belief and trust. If, if I were to turn around and close my eyes and, and Tom were to say to me, I will catch you. Okay, I will not let you hit the floor. And I would say, Tom, can I trust you in this? 
And he would say, yes, you can trust me in this. And I would turn around, I would close my eyes. Okay, I believe that he will catch me. Do you believe that he'll catch me? I'm not going to do this, by the way. <laughs> I believe that he will catch me. But, but it is only if I take the action of falling backwards that I really trust that he's going to catch me. And it's in your life and my life. We believe it. We say it. And then when it happens, we trust. We trust. Lord, I know you got this. Teach me. Help me to hold on to your hand. Let me follow you. And, and that's the second action that we take in walking hand in hand with God. It's dialogue. It's talking to him. It's a conversation. It's, it's what I believe, at least at this point in my life, at this moment, I was missing. This, this vocal submission to the Lord on an everyday basis. God, I, you know what? You've been up 12 hours already. You're, you're working all the time. You don't sleep. You know, it's, it's, it's noon or it's 7. You've been up 7 hours already. Um, Lord, what do you have for me today? Help me to follow you today, not to chase after my own thing. Let's have this conversation with him. Professional golfer Tommy Bolt was playing in Los Angeles and had a caddy with a reputation of constant chatter. Um, before they teed off, Bolt told him, don't you say a word to me throughout this, 18 holes, and, uh, and if I ask you something, just answer yes or no. Okay? I don't need your input, essentially is what he said. I don't need your advice. You just say yes or no. So, during the round, Bolt found the ball uh, next to a tree and uh, where he had to hit under a branch, over a lake, and onto the green. He got down on his hands and knees, and he looked through the trees, and he determined that what he needed to shoot was a nine iron, or a five iron, I'm sorry. So he says, what do you think? He asked the caddy, five iron? No, Mr. Bolt, the caddy said. What do you mean, not a five iron? Mr. Bolt snorted. Watch this shot. The caddy rolled his eyes and said, no, Mr. Bolt. But Bolt hit it, and the ball stopped about two feet from the hole. He turned to his caddy, handed him the five iron, and said, Now what do you think about that? You can talk now. Mr. Bolt, the caddy said, That wasn't your ball. <laughs> yeah, see, all too often, um, a challenge with conversation with God is it's generally one-sided, isn't it? It, it? It's us, again, telling him all of our plans and asking him to bless it. Uh, Margaret... Margaret Millar says that most conversations are simply monologues delivered in the presence of a witness. It's true, especially in our culture today. Um, you know, real, true communication is when both parties understand what's being communicated. And, and, and real trust in our relationship with the Lord is not just our, our, us laying it out there, but us saying, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to sit down and shut up. I'm going to let you be you. Show me the way. Help me, help me to follow you. Help me to trust you in the midst of this. And I believe he'll speak to us. It could be through another person. It could be through the word. I don't know. I've never heard him speak to me audibly. It could be that way. Lord, instead we ask, Lord, is this my ball? <laughs> oh, it's not? Oh, well, good. That just saved me a lot of frustration. Um, what clubs should I use? How far is it? Lord, I'm ready to start my day. I know you're already working. What would you like me to do today? Lord, you know I have responsibilities. You've given me these responsibilities. I've got to be at work at 8. Lord, how can I be a part of your day in the midst of what I already have and am responsible for? And Lord, how can I trust you?
And, and, and we have to be purposeful about this because, I, I mean, I have to be intentional or I simply default to myself. My strength, my knowledge, my this, my that. And the anxiety builds and the fear builds because it becomes all about me and it's all up to me. It's all up to you. But truly, when I come here on a Sunday morning and I bring the message, I, I, I work at this, I study, I, I organize my thoughts, and ultimately, what happens in your heart and in your life, that's not up to me. I shouldn't, I'm not saying honestly that I don't sometimes, I shouldn't take responsibility for what happens in your heart. That's up to the Lord. And when I live that way, some of the anxiety goes away. See, it's hard for me not to not only just feel responsible for people, but to try and be responsible for them. I mean, I, I don't know what... I, I know it's a gift. I know God has gifted me for certain things, but sometimes when I misuse that, it comes out all wrong and it just creates exhaustion in my life. Look at Psalm chapter 37, verses 23 and 24 up here on the screen. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Let's look at the New Living Translation. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. Those who are following the Lord and want to follow him, he's going to direct their steps. In fact, the Lord delights in every detail of your life and in every detail of my life. He delights in that. He is a good father. Though we stumble, and we will, we'll never fall flat, completely flat on our face, for the Lord upholds us by his hand. That's how much he loves us. That's how much of a loving father he is. We just got to hold on to his hand. Just hold on to his hand. Um, can you picture yourself at, at the busy intersection, and the Lord is right, standing right there next to you? What are you going to do? Are you going to jerk your hand back and say, I'm going to do this on my own? Or are you going to willingly surrender and submit and say, Lord, I know you got this. I want to follow you here. Now, a third action that we can take in order to walk hand in hand with God is to picture your Abba Father walking right beside you. I used to use this all the time in, as a youth pastor, um, but, but in a negative, really guilt trip sort of way. Um, it's like, all right, you want to live your life, you know, right? And you don't want to watch movies that you shouldn't and you don't want to listen to music that you shouldn't. You just need to, to picture Jesus Christ sitting right next to you in the theater walking, looking and seeing the same things that you're seeing. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do because it's true. I mean, he's with us all the time. He sees what we see. He knows what we see. He knows what we listen to. He knows what we say. He knows all of those things. He still loves us. Amazing. Amazing grace. Okay, I want to flip that on its head and, and, and I want us to realize that it's a good thing when we're holding on to his hand. It's a good thing when he's with us all of the time. It's a good thing when we picture it that way. Um, maybe, maybe picture it this way. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to do a raise of hands, um, but, but for those of us who are in the room, and it's been a really, really long time since I have, who have ever danced, okay? Um, Think of it like two partners. Like God is your dance partner. Okay? Uh, I'm a terrible dancer. I mean, that's why I haven't done it in such a long time. I even think about going to, to something like that and all of this anxiety and fear rises up in my... Because it's like, uh, no. I'll just hide out over by the Kool-Aid and the cookies. You know, y'all go do your own thing, right? But I would have confidence 
if I could go to a dance and I knew that I was going to dance with somebody who really knew how to dance and I could just follow their lead. Now, as a guy, it's kind of hard to let the, the girl lead, right? But for me, if, if you can do that in a way that it makes it look like I'm leading, right? That'd be great. Because it would be a smooth dance. You would look great. I mean, I don't... Honestly, I... I I don't watch these shows, but on occasion when they're on in the house and only for a short period of time, but it's like dancing with the stars, right? Okay, you got these people who are terrible at dancing, but they put them with somebody that's really, really good. And there's been times when I've, I've come in the living room and it's on, and I can't tell who the professional is and who the, who the person that doesn't know how to dance is. Because the person that knows does such a good job of leading them God wants to be your lead. All we got to do is follow. And that is so hard. Trust me, I know. That is so hard. But that's the challenge for us today. Is let's envision Him right there going before us saying, Hey, come on. Grab my hand. Follow me because I have plans to prosper you. Because I have plans to to bring you to, to that place where you couldn't even dream of going on your own. And, and, and when I am leading you, you leave the hard work up to me. Just take a deep breath. Um, lay that anxiety and that fear at my feet. And I will give you rest. Then, in Mark chapter eight thirty four, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's give it up and let's trust. That's a good place to end. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you know. You know what we struggle with and what we wrestle with and you're patient and you're kind. And uh, Lord, there may be somebody here who hasn't surrendered their life to you and they wonder, wow, that sounds like it's a really hard way to live. Um, Lord, life in general is hard. Lord, life in general, um, in any culture, in any organization, in anything with a human person in it, it, it there's, there can be drama, there can be trouble, there can be struggle. And Father, my prayer for all of my friends who are sitting here today and, and myself, you know the cry of my heart that we would all surrender on an everyday basis to you, that, that, we would, that we would literally, Father, this week, that we would envision you walking beside us, walking just ahead of us, holding your hand out, and that, that we would, would hold on to your hand and say, Lord, show me the way. Teach me. Help me to follow. And Lord, as we do, I know that the fear and the anxiety and the pain and the hurt that the evil one would want us to feel all the time, the defeat, the failures, Lord, that that will, that will begin to diminish and disappear. May it be said of every one of us and be true that in God we trust. In Jesus' name, amen.